Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. Turn with me to Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 1. Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 1. As we continue the theme of joy in Christ Jesus. Now, we have spent some time on the subject of the return of Christ our resurrection and our glorification in Christ, the judgment seat of Christ and the subsequent rewards that will be received in Christ Jesus because they all have to do with the day of Christ Jesus. Paul mentions that in Philippians 1.6. He mentions it in chapter 1, verse 10. He mentions it again in chapter 2 and verse 16. The day of the Lord Jesus Christ is the day when he returns to bring his people home to glory. I don't know when that day is going to happen. You don't know when that day is going to happen. We believe uh, by what Scripture tells us and by the signs that are all around us that that day is drawing near, but thank God that day is coming. Amen? And I pray and I wish and I pray and I hope that you are ready for the return of Jesus Christ. I pray that you have your faith uh, established in Him. I pray that you have been grafted into the root of Abraham. I pray that you have been adopted into the family of God. I pray that you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. So when that day does come and Christ does appear, you will be ready to go with all of the saints that are present on the earth and those that have died uh, will rise up and meet him in the air and go on to be with him in glory. Now that day is coming as I stated and that Uh, The thoughts of such a day brings joy to my heart. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that day with great anticipation. I I voice the uh, prayer of the Apostle John at the close of the book of the Revelation, Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I am looking for him every single day. But... Until that time comes, God's people will continue to face trials, hardships, tribulations, oppression, persecution in the earth. That's what Jesus had instructed the disciples in the days that he were, uh, walked here in the flesh. Uh, it is what the apostles have instructed the churches uh, throughout the New Testament. It is what uh, our uh, fathers in the faith have declared to their congregations down through church history. And it's what uh, faithful pastors of God's Word are teaching God's people even to today. Uh, We are are looking for the redemption uh, that is drawing nigh to us. But we must continue to live here in an earth, uh, in a culture, among a people who hate Jesus Christ, who despise the Lord Jesus Christ, who reject his gospel, uh, and who reject 
his people. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Be aware, Jesus said, be aware of a world that despises me and a world that will despise you because of me. Jesus said, be aware of those who will revile you and will persecute you and will say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. And then he goes on to say, not only be aware of how the world is going to treat you, but rejoice. Rejoice in your spirit. Rejoice and be glad because your reward in heaven is great. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, a passage that uh, Pastor Chris read at the beginning of the service. He says, We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. Now the Apostle Paul says the same thing that Jesus says, he just puts a different twist on it. We are going to face trouble. We're going to face trials. We're going to face tribulation and opposition and persecution because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And it can be distressing. It can be debilitating. It can be depressing. It can be discouraging. It can be frustrating. But Paul says... We who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. That's the negative side. But the positive side is this, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. There's the joy. The world gives us heartache and grief and sorrow. But the life of Jesus Christ in the believer gives them joy gives them gladness, gives them hope to continue on and to press on despite the response and the reaction of the people of the world. Jesus was no stranger to trials and to tribulation and to oppression and persecution. He was tempted by Satan in the wilderness to surrender his lordship as Messiah and as Savior. He was criticized and condemned by the religious leaders of Israel, and he was rejected by those he came to save. He was even forsaken by his own disciples in the hour of his great need. He knew what it was like to be alone, even in a crowd. He knew what it was like to come to those who were looking for his appearing, and yet when he appeared, he was rejected. He knew what it was like to come to the religious 
leaders of his day, to come to the churches of his day, and to declare to them all that the prophets had spoken about concerning him had now come to pass because he, the Messiah, was now in their midst. And yet, rather than give him the accolades, rather than lift up their voices in praise to him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. He knew what it was like to be despised and rejected of men. The apostles, Paul and Peter, James and John, they were no strangers to trials and to tribulations and to distress and to persecution. They were imprisoned for preaching and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were criticized. They were run out of town. They were condemned. They were beaten and eventually martyred for their faith in the Lord. Christian history. Since the time of the apostles, Christian history has witnessed faithful brothers and sisters in the Lord who've been oppressed, who've been persecuted, and who've been killed for their faith in Jesus, for preaching, for teaching, and for sharing the gospel with others. And as you read through Christian history, if you're a student of Christian history, you'll find that much of that persecution, like Jesus, much of that persecution came from the church. It came from the church that should have accepted brothers and sisters in Christ, should have accepted their zeal for the truth of God's Word, should have accepted their witness and their work, their labor in the kingdom of God, but instead turned them out, instead burned them at the stake, instead drowned them in rivers, instead fed them to the wild animals. They were no strangers to persecution. They knew what it was like to face trials and tribulations, oppression and persecution for their faith. Even today, even this very day, there are men and women and children in other countries who are condemned for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, for ministering the kingdom of God to others, for giving aid, giving comfort, giving counsel, giving support to those that are oppressed by their governments. They're imprisoned, they're tortured, and they're put to death for believing in Jesus. Christianity is no stranger to trials and to tribulation. And you may very well observe that in our country, in our day, we don't face such extreme opposition and persecution as Jesus faced, as the apostles faced, as many of our brothers and sisters have faced during Christian history and even face today. We do face some opposition. We do face some persecution. But it's on a very slight scale. But it won't be for long. The day is coming when even in this country the name of Jesus Christ will be despised and those who claim faith in Jesus Christ will be oppressed. 
And yet when you look at Jesus, when you look at the apostles as you read about them in the New Testament, if you're a student of Christian history and you read about the great men and women of the faith, and even if you hear the stories of Christian missionaries and evangelists in countries where Christianity is outlawed, and you listen to their testimonies, these individuals go to their death, suffer under the hand of persecution with joy in their heart. Many of them rejoicing in Jesus Christ as they face their deaths. Each one glad to be able to give his or her life for the one who gave his life for them on the cross. That's the mark of a true Christian. That's the attitude of a true follower of Jesus Christ. You see, we're sojourners here. We're just travelers here. We're pilgrims in this land. We're living for Jesus in a world whose Lord is Satan. We should expect criticism. We should expect opposition, exclusion, and rejection. Because Satan is the Lord of the earth. And he controls in many ways. He controls the nations of the world. They are under his sway. They are under his powerful influence. But such things should not steal our joy. Knowing these things and even experiencing to some degree these things in our own lives as Christians should never steal our joy in the Lord. We are not happy with circumstances as they are here in the earth, but we should rejoice in the Lord despite our circumstances. Because we have the promise of God that He is with us to encourage us, to strengthen us, to counsel us, and to comfort us to the very end of our lives. John MacArthur wrote, quote, The measure of a person's spiritual character, the measure of their spiritual strength, and the measure of their spiritual maturity is what it takes to steal their joy. At whatever point your joy breaks down, that's the level of your spiritual strength. You can find out how mature you are, how spirit-controlled you are, how spiritually virtuous you are by finding the breaking point where joy is lost and bitterness and negativism, a critical spirit and sullenness begins to creep in and take over your life. The measure of your joy is how you react, not to things the way you'd like them to be, but to things the way you wouldn't like them to be, end quote. Circumstances change. And sometimes our circumstances lift us high with happiness, gladness. Sometimes our circumstances bring us down 
with sadness and sorrow. Happiness, again, is dependent upon circumstances and situations, some of them out of our control, some of them within our control. But joy, spiritual joy, comes from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and that should continue to increase in our lives, never diminish, but increase in our lives. But sadly, sadly, brothers and sisters in the Lord, will find their joy decreasing because their focus in life is not on Christ as it should be, but on the things of the flesh where it ought not to be. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, the Apostle Paul wrote, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Joy is the fruit of a Spirit-controlled life. And sadly, brothers and sisters in Christ live their lives out from under the control of the Holy Spirit and under the control of the flesh and of the world. And again, that ought not to be. But we find it to be true in the lives of people that we know who profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We're encouraged in Scripture to maintain our joy in the Lord, and we're going to be talking about how that joy can be maintained despite the, the sufferings that we face in this life, the trials and the tribulations. We'll get to that in just a moment. But we're encouraged to maintain that joy in the Lord always and in all things, in every circumstance, because He's given us certain things that we ought to hold on to certain things that we need to remember, certain things that we need to be reminded of by others or by the Word of God as we read it or by the Holy Spirit as He brings them once again to mind in our times of meditation and prayer. We need to remember that He has given us His truth whereby we have the knowledge of salvation, 1 Corinthians thirteen six. We need to remember that our names are written down in the Lamb's book of life. Luke chapter 10, verse 20. We need to remember that Jesus is coming back for us. John chapter 14, verse 28. We need to remember that even though we face trials and troubles for His name's sake, He will reward us for faithful service. John chapter 4, verse 36. The Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 and 25, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Do you know? Are you aware that those who seek to serve the Lord by ministering His Word, His kingdom into the lives of others, do you realize that they suffer for your sake? Are you aware of that? 
Now, I know individuals who call themselves pastors and so on and so forth, and they don't suffer at all. But I'm talking about true men and women of God. I'm talking about those who have devoted their lives to share the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to minister the kingdom of God in the lives of other individuals. They suffer for your sake. Paul said to the Colossians, I rejoice in my sufferings for you. We'll talk a little bit more about that next Sunday. And he goes on to say, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of His body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the Word of God. True individuals who preach and teach and minister the truth of God's Word suffer not only for the cause of Christ, but also for the sake of the fellowship. They suffer for the sake of the fellowship. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1, In this you greatly rejoice, thou know for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Peter said, listen, brothers and sisters, you are suffering for the cause of Christ. You are being put to the test because of your faith in Jesus. But rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. And let your life, let your words, let your praise be to the honor and to the glory of Jesus Christ, whom you do not see now, but someday you will see. Continue to rejoice with joy inexplicable, inexpressible, and full of glory. Now, what should we say about all of this? Let me give you four things that we need to pull together from these verses that we've read. The first thing is this. We ought to expect to suffer. We ought to expect trials and tribulations because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, don't take that as a bummer. Christians ought not to be people with their head in the clouds or their head in the sand. Jesus wants us to be aware of the world that we're living in. We need to be wise as serpents, yet gentle as doves. We need to have our eyes and our ears open, anticipating that the world that is controlled by Satan, the world that, that the culture that is uh, Satan-saturated is not going to, open with open arms, welcome us in and let us uh, have our say, let us have our way in all of the things that they are doing. 
Now, in recent years, we've seen this taking place. Where the Lord has been marginalized. Quite often, you're not permitted to pray in the name of Jesus Christ anymore. You can pray in the name of Allah. You can pray in the name of Buddha. You can pray in the name of any one of a number of pagan gods, but you can't pray in the name of the true and living God. School campuses, you can't have Bible study. You have to have special permission. I mean, you can, have a, you can have an auto club on campus and you can have a homemaker's club on campus and you can have a basket weaving cl uh, club on campus, but you can't have a Bible study on campus. We're beginning to see, slowly but surely, oppression and opposition to the things of Christ rearing its ugly head in our society. Satan's not going to stand still for Christians to continue uh, the work of the kingdom of God without being challenged, without being put to the test. And we're beginning to see that take place even here in our own country. So we ought not to expect to get off scot-free because we're a people of faith. We ought to expect suffering trials and troubles because of our faith. John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said, In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. We do expect trouble, and we should always expect trouble. We should anticipate it. Now, I'm not saying go out and look for it. I'm not saying go out and stir it up. But what I'm saying is be prepared for it when it comes. Second, such things are allowed by God for our benefit. Trials and tribulations are allowed by God for our benefit. Look with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. My brethren, so he's talking to Christians, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Those situations, those events, those circumstances that wreck your peace, that take away your comfort, that are intended to stifle your joy and your happiness. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, that's why trials come. It's a testing of your faith. If you have any questions about that, talk to Job. Job can tell you all about that. Go back to the book in the Old Testament, chapter 1 and chapter 2. 
Job here in the earth, and those of you who've been in Bible study classes on Sunday morning, you just got finished uh, in the book of Job. Job had no idea what was going on and why he was suffering what he was suffering. He didn't know why his family had been taken away from him. He didn't know why his business was destroyed. He didn't know why his flocks and herds were, were uh, uh, confiscated from him. He didn't know why his servants were killed by the edge of the sword. He didn't know why his health was taken away from him. We know the backstory to it. It was a testing of his faith. But he didn't know that. It wasn't, God did not write it in the clouds, Job. You're going to be tested for your faith for a little while, so buck up, buddy. No. Sometimes we're not informed by the Lord that this is going to be a time of testing. It happens. It comes. We need to anticipate it. We need to be ready for it. We need to be prepared for it. God allows trials for our benefit, knowing that the testing of your faith does what? It produces patience. That's why I never pray for patience. I used to, but I don't anymore. I don't pray for patience. Because I know if I pray for patience, trials right around the corner. Troubles right at hand. No. With joy, face the trials, knowing that it's the testing of your faith and that produces patience. But then he says in verse 4, let patience have its perfect work, its complete work, that you may be perfect, that means mature spiritually. You might be whole, you might be complete, lacking nothing, ready to go. Trained, prepared, equipped for battle. Trials come in order to prepare us for battle. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But ask in faith. So James tells us, that God allows trials and tribulations to come for the purpose of maturing us, strengthening us, encouraging us, building us up, helping us to stand so that when the day of trial and temptation comes, we're able to do what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, fully clothed in the armor of God, we're able to take the stand against Satan and do everything we can to remain standing. Spiritual growth and development and maturity comes in the crucible of testing. Every faithful servant of God is tested so that his or her faith is purified and strengthened. And again, think of Job. Think of Noah. Took him more than a week to build that boat. Took him years to build that boat, and every single day he faced criticism. He faced individuals who thought he was crazy. And I'm sure from time to time his sons questioned, Dad, what in the world are we doing building a boat out here and there ain't no water to be found? 
And why do you keep talking about rain? What's rain? Because it hadn't rained at that point in the earth. I'm sure Noah's faith was tested every single day he was building the ark. What about Abraham? What about Jeremiah and Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Peter, Paul, Silas, John? All of them. Their faith was tested. Their faith was proven. Their faith was purified. Their joy in the Lord was maintained because they understood that you live for God, you're going to be slapped by the world. You're going to be oppressed by those who hate God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 through 26, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. Thank you for the pencil. Then to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. You hear that? Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, he looked for the reward. Was Moses oppressed? Yes, he was. He was not only oppressed by the Egyptians, he was oppressed by the Jews. He was oppressed by the people he came to deliver. And after he delivered them, after he led them out of Egypt, 40 years from the time they left Egypt until the time he died, it was nothing but griping and complaining and bemoaning their situation and attacking Moses for bringing them out in the desert to die. Moses suffered. So we should rejoice in the midst of trials and trouble and tribulation, knowing that in these things our faith in Jesus Christ is made pure, it's made strong, and we are made more faithful. Third, Scripture tells us, and we believe that Scripture is true, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And I think we lose sight of that. I think we do. Hebrews 11, excuse me, Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? But I don't hear that an awful lot out of brothers and sisters in the Lord. What I do hear out of a number of those who name the name of Jesus Christ is that they are afraid of what man can do to them. They are concerned about what's going to come out of Sacramento, what's going to come out of Washington, D.C. They are afraid of what uh, the people, their neighbors in the neighborhood or, or their employers or their supervisors will do to them if they continue to live their faith in Jesus Christ openly and without apology. In Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, 
who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God and also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall, shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, if there is a passage of Scripture that you ought to hang on to in the midst of trouble and trials and opposition and oppression and persecution, that's the passage you need to hang on to. That's the passage we need to remember. He asks a couple of questions that we can answer honestly, I'm sure. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Well, there are a lot of people who are bringing the charge against God's elect. If God is for us, who can be against us? I know lots of people who are against us. Who is he who condemns? The world is filled with people who condemn the people of God. But they can't separate us from God. And even though we face opposition and persecution and condemnation from those around us, they cannot separate us from the God who forever loves us and will provide for us and will protect us even if in protection he takes us home to be with him. We have nothing to fear. We have nothing to be concerned about. Because we believe the word of God, we should rejoice. Because through these things we draw closer to the Lord in dependence upon him. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He'll direct your path. He'll show you what you need to do. He'll tell you what your marching instructions are. He'll reveal to you how you need to deal with this situation. You know, there are some times in the life of Jesus when you read His life and His ministry through the Gospels, there are some times Jesus stood His ground and He rebuked those who were out to condemn Him. There are some times Jesus just turned and walked away. There are some times Jesus didn't say a thing. He just turned and walked away. We need to learn from Jesus how to respond to criticism, how to respond to rejection, how to respond to oppression. Now finally, because the Lord is able to do these things and more, when we face trouble and trial and tribulation as a Christian, we have the opportunity to teach others these truths as they face trouble and trials and tribulation in their own lives. Philippians chapter 4. That's the book that we're in. 
to begin with. Now let's get back to it. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7. Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. That means stop worrying. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Now I want you to notice here, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Don't worry about things, but in everything, make that be known to the Lord. And he doesn't say God is going to miraculously deliver you out of the trial or the tribulation or the oppression. But he does say in the midst of it, he will give you peace. In the midst of it, he will give you what your heart, what your spirit, what your mind, what your life needs in Christ Jesus. Sometimes he does deliver. He did deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He did deliver Daniel. He did deliver the Apostle Paul. He did deliver John. He did deliver Peter. But sometimes it's the will of the Lord that through our persecution and even our death, greater glory will be brought to his name. And we need to anticipate that as well. It's a lesson for all of us to learn and to teach others to learn. And I, I, I've, I've said this time and time again, and I'll say it again. Quite often, my friends, God will allow you to go through difficult times. And He will deliver you out of those difficult times. He will teach you certain things how to trust in Him in a greater way, how to listen to Him more carefully, how to order your steps more appropriately, how to um, guard your heart and your mind, how to respond to uh, the circumstance or the situation or to the person who's creating uh, the, uh, the problem. He will bring you through those things so that you will be able to teach other people how to go through those things as well. In this life, we learn. We learn about the Lord and we learn about our relationship to the Lord. But in this life, we're also teachers. We're also to teach other people about the Lord and about their relationship to the Lord as well. And a part of that teaching is to help brothers and sisters deal with trials and tribulations, things that we have gone through, things that we have experienced in our own life, and now we are able to reveal to them the patterns of faith that they should follow in the midst of their trials and tribulations. Romans chapter 8 and 28, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purposes. The good and the bad, they work for our good. And we need to help brothers and sisters understand that and show them how God ministered to me in the midst of my trial. He can minister to you in the midst of your trial as well. And so my friends, in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12, 13, and 14, and I close with this. 
I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And the Apostle Paul here, the things that happened to him, he's not talking about all the wonderful good things, all of the open opportunities, all of the privileges, all the high fives that he got in the course of his ministry. He's talking about his imprisonments. He's talking about being run out of town. He's, he's talking about being stoned. He's talking about uh, being criticized and condemned. All of the things he said that have happened to me actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard. And here's the testimony. It has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And having most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Why do trials and temptations and tribulations come to us? Why does God allow those things to come to us. Number one, because we're Christians and we're followers of Christ and as the world has rejected him, the, the world will reject us. Number two, it teaches us to draw near to God, to trust in God more, to keep our eyes focused on him and not on the oppression, not on the situation, not on the circumstance. It also teaches us to be a better witness. Our lives, how we go through trials and temptations uh, uh, will be a witness to others all around us, to moms and dads, to brothers and sisters, to sons and daughters, to employers and employees, to schoolmates. It will be a witness to them. But he allows them also to come into our lives so that we can teach our younger brothers and sisters how to live by faith how to walk by faith and not by sight, how to live the crucified life in Christ Jesus, how to stay focused on the one who died for us and is coming back again for us. These are the reasons why God brings these things into our lives. They are to promote the furtherance of the gospel in us, to those around us, so that the Lord Jesus Christ is high and lifted up among us so that we might draw closer and closer to him. Let's stand together. David's going to come and lead us in a song. And we will pray. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain and cleansed by the blood join heirs with Jesus as we travel this song for I'm part of the family Father, we pray now your blessing upon us that as we leave the house and as we consider the events of the remainder of the day, Lord God, we will uh, rejoice in Christ Jesus for all that he has blessed us with, all that he has brought into our lives, and how he is going to use us to bring honor and glory to his name in the furtherance of his kingdom. Bless us as we leave the house. 
Bless us as we remain to consider uh, the ministry of the church. And bless us, Lord God, that in all things we will continue to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Because it's in his name we ask. Amen and amen. God bless you. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.